You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Church especially, but Annette was right. It was a lot of years of baseball that caught up with me. Uh, what I could not believe is how, how a doctor could get 30 stitches on a, just a really small area. Isn't that, I, don't a, I don't have a big nose, do I? It's kind of a... <laughs> Kind of small, but they know what they're doing. So we're, uh, uh, last week was not a pretty sight, so thank you for the reprieve. I really appreciate that. I really do. It was a Monday morning, and Annette and I had, uh, had the day off, as we do on Mondays, and we decided what we were going to do is get a lot of yard work done. And so we, we were going to just make hay as fast as we could. We had two boys in school. We had a four-year-old daughter staying at home. And we thought, we really did, we thought that we were going to get that whole place cleaned up in a flash. But we had a little problem, and it's called a four-year-old that wanted to interrupt. And so every time you turned around, she would say, Daddy, can you come and see this? Daddy, can you do that? Mom, I'm thirsty. Mom, I'm hungry. And you kept hearing this over and over, and I realized we're not going to get much done if she keeps interrupting us. And so I, I, I said, Honey, let me, let me talk to you. Baby girl, listen, we're trying to get some things done, and uh, we're going to just ask you not, not to interrupt us. We're going to give you a few things to do on your own. And she just looked at me, and she said, I want you to think about me all the time. Four years old. She, she, she knew how to respond to her dad. And I said, I bet you do you want me to think about you all the time. But interruptions. And parents, I think you, uh, you have a pretty good idea of what that's really all about. I mean, you have your kids around, and they... They want you to think about them all the time, and that brings a lot of interruptions. So when you have plans for your day, interruptions are probably the last thing that you want, and interruptions really can be annoying. Uh, I think moms of young children uh, really know what I'm talking about. Moms, there's sainthood waiting for you. I'm positive. I am positive of that. Uh, kids are experts. They are world-class interrupters. Um, I used to have three of them called my children. Uh, now I have nine of them with another one on the way, and it just multiplies. I, I thought when those three left, it would all go away. It didn't. It just multiplied, and especially with a, a two-and-a-half-year-old that I mentioned earlier, uh, she will always interrupt. Uh, Grandpa, can you help me to do this? Can you help me do that? Can you help? She has learned the art of persuasion over her grandfather, and so uh, it's, it's a lot of interruption. But bottom line, we don't like interruptions. I mean, human nature, because we believe what we're doing is really important and that what we're about is the most important thing on the planet. I, I know I've, I've succumbed to that, but sometimes the one interrupting us has the right to interrupt us, and that's when we really need to pay attention, and oftentimes that's when I miss it. Uh, I miss it at those moments of Holy Spirit interruptions in my own life that, that I think, oh, I, I just missed a moment. Lord, let me be sensitive to your voice and your leading let me hear what you have because I'm going to just invite, I'm going to invite your interruptions in my life. Acts chapter 9 is all about God interruptions. Pastor Ryan talked about it last week and we decided we're going to take parallel tracks. I'm going to do one thing in Acts chapter 9 while he did another. Did you know that the Bible can do that? <laughs> that the Bible has the ability to, uh, I mean, there's layers in, in every, every word that you open up and read in God's living word. It just brings life. And so today, we're going to just look at the interruptions that God caused. Because in the story by now, there have been several interruptions in the city of Jerusalem. John and Peter uh, have been interrupted constantly. 
And now what we see in Acts chapter 9, God's about to interrupt a man named Saul and everyone around him. Their lives get turned upside down. They really do. Now, before we go any further, let me interrupt you uh, with a brief explanation of what's happened up to this point. What we know so far is this. We know and remember that the church is scared. It is scattered, but it is still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8, verse 4 says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I love that. Because no matter the interruptions, and there were grave interruptions in their life, seizing of property, martyrdom, all of those things, but they continued, in spite of those huge, intense interruptions, they continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we see here in Acts chapter 9, theologians call this the fulcrum chapter, just an easier way to say it. It's a pivotal point in the book of Acts. And we've been saying it's a pivotal point since Acts chapter 1. But this is where the narrative begins to change. The spotlight shifts from Peter in Jerusalem to Paul in Antioch. And so you're going to start to see a little bit of a shift here with the conversion of Saul, who will be later called Paul. Acts chapter 9 is the first of three accounts of Paul's conversion. There's Acts chapter 9, then it's rehearsed again in Acts chapter 22. And again in Acts chapter 26. And so you see that, that, that conversion uh, told again and again. And, and for good reason. Uh, Paul is a centerpiece of the, of the New Testament. We know that. Uh, I love to read about the exploits of the Apostle Paul. What God has done and how God has used him. I think many have said right below G, right under Jesus as far as importance. It would be certainly the Apostle Paul. So what I want to do is just dive right into Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at it piece by piece, and hopefully we come up with some lessons here. I know for me, going through this passage of Scripture, the book of Acts, has been pretty exciting because I've been watching it lived out in some of your lives. I've been watching people come to faith in Jesus Christ. I just talked to a gentleman the other day who was baptized in the Holy Spirit, didn't know what happened to him because he had no reference. He had no framework to know what happened to him. So I'm there just to explain to him, this is what happened. And his response was, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So we're going to look at these first few verses, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if, if he found any there who belonged to the way, now that's the, the name of the followers of Jesus Christ. They've got several names, and one is the way, after Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they call them people of the way. Whether men or women, and by the way, it was not an increase, it was a derogatory statement. The people of the way. He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That's what Saul wants to do. He wants to take them. And he wants to make them prisoners. And he wants to, he wants to re actually end their lives. That's what he wants to do. If you remember, he was the gentleman that was holding the robes, endorsing, endorsing the, uh, the stoning of, of, of Stephen. And so he's there. People see him there. They, they recognize him. They know who he is. They know who he represents. And so Saul loved to do something. And something is so interesting about the apostle Paul later uh, that, that he understood the importance and the value of going to capital cities. He understood that. He used that actually as a, a, a template for evangelism. You're going to find him using that template before he, 
He runs into Jesus, literally. And then after he comes to faith in Jesus, where does he go? He goes right to those capital cities. So what he's saying here, what you're reading about here is this. He's, he's literally saying, we've chased them out of the capital city of Jerusalem. So we're going to go find another capital city, and that's Damascus in Syria. And we're going to go chase them out there, which must have held a pretty predominant group of believers. Just imagine that. This was not uh, in your, uh, your, your typical t- uh, geography of Israel. Jesus really never was even over in that part of, of the country. This was a group of people that got radically saved and started an enclave of believers in Damascus. And, and Paul hears about this. And he, and he says, I, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go after them. So if you want to, and you, you're okay to do this, you can circle that word in your Bible, Damascus, because it is the capital city. Now, think about the, the closest capital city to you. Uh, that's Salem. If, if the Apostle Paul was alive today, he would be talking to you and me about going to Salem. He'd be saying, let's go. Let's go where it's all happening. Let's make it, let's, let, let's, let's bring the gospel and certainly Portland would have been on his agenda as well. But, but he went to those capital cities. All of Paul's life, again, before and after, he would go and have this strategic nature about himself that would go to capital cities. So we move on and go to verses 3 through 6. Listen to what it says. As he, heard, as he neared excuse me, Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? He answered his own question, didn't he? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Wow, you want to talk about a remarkable conversion. And when I listen to conversion stories, I, I, just, get, I just get excited because I've heard, I've heard some of yours. Uh, I've heard some of the stories that that take place in your life. But I, I think when I read these kinds of stories, like out of the ordinary almost, uh, I, I, I hear these kinds of stories coming from people who are radically different than us in faith and in culture. I, I've heard stories like this come from uh, former Muslims. I hear it come from former uh, Mormons. I hear it come from people who we would think were so far away from, from really understanding God. And, and you see this radical incredible conversion take place in this passage. And it goes on a little further in verses 7 through 9. It says, And then uh, the men traveling with Saul stood there. They were speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink. Now notice again verse 7. It says they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And I want to I just explain something for a moment. There are always people who are trying to explain away the miracles of the gospel. Always. There are always people, and unfortunately some are attached to churches. But they're saying, well, this really didn't happen. This is a story. This is a fable. It's too, too dramatic. Well, there's a few things that you need to pay attention to. If you ever cross someone's path who says that about anything that's in God's word, you need to, first of all, look at it and understand fables do not have these kind of specifics, number one. They just do not. And then this happens in a corporate setting. What do I mean by that? Several people were there and witnessed what went on. 
Witnesses are incredibly valuable when it comes to things like this. Think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You think about the witnesses. I mean, you could try to theologically explain things away. You can try to politically explain things away, naturally explain things away. But when you got witnesses, that's a tough one. Uh, That's a tough one to explain away. So there are witnesses here that saw what happened. Here's something else. Paul's life is totally changed. And I think that is the greatest the greatest sign of something happening that was of a miraculous nature. What happens is his life is changed. You see, the greatest story you have to give people is your changed life. Um, it, it really is. And, I, and again, I, listen, I understand the importance of theology. I understand the importance of doctrine. I, I, I study this all the time. But there's nothing that tells people of Jesus more than your testimony, your story. Your life, how Jesus changed you. And so when you tell people your story, it has this incredible impact on their life. They're listening because why? You've, you've experienced it and you've been filled with God's spirit. And you've been able to communicate something uh, of salvation and redemption that the world is hungry to hear. And you're able to tell them that. I had a young guy get a hold of me a couple of days ago. He's a new believer. And he, he said, you know, I, I got to ask you something. I, I just don't know how to go about it. This is what he says. He, he says, I, I just got done telling someone about Jesus. And I told him about my water baptism. And they wanted me, we were right by river, they wanted me to baptize him. And, and I just said, I don't know if that's legal or not. I, I, don't, I don't know if there was, I don't know the rules, you know. He says, are there any rules? And I said, no, there are no rules, but I'm going to talk to you about why you do it and how you explain that to somebody. But I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you led someone to Jesus. I'm so glad that you got to baptize them in water. What do we get to do? It's a life that changed. This gentleman told me that, well, he has told his story about his difficult life before Jesus. No one was moved like this person. And I said, that's because you were filled with God's spirit. That's because the Holy Spirit filled you. And there's, there's his redemptive work is in you. And it penetrates more than just the ears. It goes to the heart. And that's what you saw happen with this person you told about your story. It's your testimony. Don't hold back. If you have an opportunity to tell people about what you've experienced, do that. So we see Paul's life has totally changed. So Paul went on, and he writes two-thirds of the New Testament, which, you know, when you look at it, that, that is, that, that, that's an amazing body of work, isn't it? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, this guy does what he does. And his methods, again, of spreading the gospel are methods we still use today. Methods we use for evangelism. Bottom line, and you can write this one down, you can bank on this, the Bible can be trusted. So when we hear and see and read about a miracle, we know it can be trusted in God's word. Something's happened here, and and people need to know this. In uh, verses 10 through 13, it goes on. It says this. Follow with me, if you would. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, not the dead guy in chapter 5. He did not come. Just the same like Jimmy, John, Joe. We have different names. Same names. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered, and the Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. 
Verse 13, it says, Lord, Ananias replied, I've heard many reports about this guy <laughs> and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. You know, I love what Ananias says when he responds to Jesus. Notice his response. It's just two words. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Don't skip over the simplicity and the obedience that you see here because there's not a, a dialogue here. He, he says, yes, Lord, and then he explains to the Lord what his dilemma is. <laughs> this guy, Lord, has killed people like me. He has. But I'm saying yes. Lord, I'm going to say yes to you because you've asked me to do it. Uh, I like this because uh, this is a good translation, by the way, when you read this. But this is, uh, this is uh, uh, not the, 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 what I would say the original translation of this. Because if you look at this in uh, Hebrew, and in this case Aramaic if they're speaking, look, it would say this. It would say, look, Lord, I'm right here and I'm paying attention. <clears throat> Lord, I'm here. I'm paying attention. What is this? This is a very, very, very Jewish response. Now, I want you to think about your Bible heroes. Think about God speaking to them. How did they respond? The same way. When, when you talk about Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and David and Isaiah, they gave the same response when God said, hey, I have a job for you guys to do. I need you to do something for me. What did they do? They say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. I want to be like that. I want to be like that. You know, you confess, and I will. There's just hesitation at times. I mean, I've, I've done that. I thought, wow, really? You want me to do that? That's a little crazy. That's a little over the top. But here what we see is somebody responding and saying, I want to I be obedient to Jesus Christ. It's a response of absolute attention and submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening right here. Now, notice the, the contrast between Ananias and, and who will be later Paul, but Saul at the time. Notice the contrast. God shows up or Jesus shows up for Paul and has to knock him off his donkey. That would probably be me in the story. But then you have someone like Ananias where Jesus shows up and talks to him and he says, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And I always, when I read this story, I think, now, which one am I today? You know, who are you today? Are, are you that Saul that has to get just radically knocked off the donkey? Or, or are you going to be that Ananias who says, yeah, I'm going to go. Yes, Lord, I want to respond to you. I want to do what you asked me to do. Notice that God speaks to Ananias very specifically. Very specifically. And there are times in Scripture you don't see this, specific, this kind of specific nature in a, in a command or an order. Why did he do that? Because this, you know, this would be like you being asked, to go to an ISIS leader and say, uh, I want to talk to you about my faith. If you put it in context today, be like, yeah, let me go talk to somebody who's out killing Christians. And uh, let's see what they have to say. Paul is murdering Christians and Ananias gets a word from the Lord. Hey, by the way, this guy is on my side now. This guy's on our team now. Go pray for him. Go pray for him. And then it goes on and says, And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. It is never good to argue with God when he says go. 
When God says go, that's what he wants you to do. There's no really uh, other story. There's no second story or third story or another motive. There isn't. It is to go. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but so distinctly feeling and hearing that, that go. I, I have just a few, a few times. I have experienced that. Uh, one of the times that I experienced that, I was in uh, Lagos, Nigeria, in, in the airport, and I was getting ready to leave and fly out to, uh, really, to come back home. And we were praying together, uh, missionaries, and they were praying for us and our safe travels. And, and so while I'm standing there praying, I was peeking and seeing who was around me. Uh, I do that. But I was just kind of looking around, and it was during the most holy season of Islam, during Ramadan. And I noticed that a man had actually, uh, a Muslim had pulled up a, a prayer board. He laid it out, and it was, he was praying toward Mecca, right by a window. And the Lord said, go, go. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. My feet started moving before my head could really reconcile with what was going on, because my head's saying, these are the people that kill us. My feet are going. And then I realized, you know, how lovely are the feet of those who bring good news? Not how lovely is your head that brings good news, but how lovely your feet are, because your feet actually get it done. And, uh, and I went over, and I just said, I notice you're a man of prayer. And he said, I am. And he asked me to kneel next to him. And I asked if I could pray to Jesus. And he said, yes. And I said, how do you want me to pray for you? And he said, my heart. And he accepted Jesus sitting on a you know, Muslim prayer board in an airport. And uh, when I got up to walk away, I looked back, and I, I heard the Lord say, you'll see him again. And I thought, I'm not coming back to Nigeria, I don't think. And uh, no, the Lord said, you'll see him again. And I went, oh, yeah, that reunion, you know, in heaven that Paul talks about, are you not my reward? Are you not my crown? When Jesus comes again, aren't you the ones I'm going to be standing with? I've never seen the man since. I would probably never recognize him. But in heaven, I think we're going to probably have a good conversation. And I'm looking forward to that conversation. So when he says go, what do we do? We go. You can say that a little louder. Uh, go, 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 go. That's what we do. Verses 17 through 25. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, <clears throat> The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he re regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I love this. I love this. That Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, is it? Isn't that the guy who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all those who call on his name, on the name of Jesus? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews. Here it is. Same one, same kind of plot against Jesus is now being engaged against the Apostle Paul. But Saul learned their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. When they got him alone, they wanted to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an, open, an opening in, in the wall. 
Now look what happens here. It says, placing his hands, I want you to think about this. Placing his hands on Saul, this is Ananias. He said, what's the word there? Brother. You want to talk about a radical change not only in the Apostle Paul, but a radical change in Ananias. I mean, the obedient, now you're my brother. And he confesses that. That's no light title, no light label that you would ever put on anyone. You don't, you don't call someone else who's, unless they're your biological brother, you don't call someone else a brother or sister unless you're of the faith family, unless you have the blood of Jesus running through your, your veins. He does it. He says, brother. Man, this guy's astounding to me. Because when I think what he's doing here, from an enemy to a brother, that's powerful. That's a very powerful thing, but that's the gospel. That's how the gospel works. So Paul heads toward Damascus to kill Christians. He is on a mission, and Jesus suddenly <laughs> interrupts him, interrupts his plan. And next thing you know, he's leaving in the middle of the night in a, in a basket, being lowered down. What's he doing now? He's working for Jesus. So what happens in this interruption and these kind of interruptions? By the way, I don't think in this chapter uh, it's all just about the Apostle Paul. Because we see him, what is, happens here, he falls off his horse, he, he, he gets prayed for, he gets healed, he preaches the gospel. It's not just about Ananias, his obedience, his humility, all of that plays. But I don't think this is the centerpiece of the story. I think these guys are great, but the real hero in this story, the one that we look to in this story is Jesus. It's what Jesus does here. It's how Jesus saves someone. It's how Jesus redeems somebody. So when you look at Acts chapter 9, Jesus is the one that's working here. And so we are in a place where we need to say, Lord, I then, you know what? Lord, you're the great, you, you interrupt me more than my granddaughter, Lord. So I got to give you permission to interrupt me. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe today you'll just pray that. Lord, you have my permission to interrupt me, to interrupt my schedule, my moments, my family, my church, my life. Lord, however you want to do that, you you have permission. I, I, Lord, I know what I'm doing is important. <laughs> but what you want to do is much more important than what I want to do. So, Lord, you, you have permission to interrupt me. And I, I want to just finish with four quick thoughts here, four quick observations. Number one is this. Enemies surrender. Did you see that? Uh, Jesus is an expert at taking the most oppositional people in your life and not only reaching them, but turning them around to serve him. That's what we see here. He does that with us. He does that for you. Maybe you've experienced that with past friendships, but I can say this. If you're looking at someone right now who is in opposition to you, uh, please continue to pray for them. Please do that because you might be surprised what happens. Listen, I know one thing that happens uh, Jesus has an impact on people's lives that are enemies of, 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 of him and, and the body of Christ. He gets their attention because they fall to the ground. I mean, when Jesus shows up, people like this fall to the ground. That's what happens here. He calls them by name. That's something so critical. When I look at this, I think, Lord, I just know the times you've used my name in context to a call in my life and how personal that, that feels when he's looking at you and he's calling you by name and you're thinking, that, that's not anyone else. <laughs> that's me. He doesn't have the wrong address. He has my address. He doesn't have the wrong name. He has my name. And, and he wants me to do something very specific. And so he does that. And he does that right here. He can turn enemies into believers. Now, here's the thing about us. 
You know, we all love to, to hate a, a villain. Uh, but every once in a while, one of us has uh, an attitude like Jesus. Like, I see the villain, but I know they're, they're a Christian in waiting. I know that might be impossible for us to see. How can they be like that? Look at their life. They're so vile. They're so this. They're so that. I'll tell you what. You got saved. Excuse me. Just saying, you know. And I'm thinking, well, I, I got saved, so I know the Lord does save people. Jesus looks at opposition, the, the rebellious, the disconnected, and he says this. I, I love it because I've experienced this. I'm not going to just reach you, but I'm going to make you a team leader. How about that? How about that? When I used to teach school, I was in uh, ele or, uh, elementary school, and I taught elementary kids. And I would always look for the most trouble. You know, I'd look for those that would make because I did. I did. And it wasn't until someone came along, a teacher came along and said, you know what, you're a leader. I need you to help me in this class. I was 10 years old when that happened. And I thought, oh, somebody sees that. Listen, there are people around that just need an affirmation from you just to say, I see these qualities in your life. No matter how bad you want to be a bad guy, this is what I see in your life. And when you speak life and hope and redemption to people, it is irresistible. Uh, people can't resist this. And so what's happening here is we're seeing this conversion take place. Jesus is a pro at reaching his enemies. So moms and dads, that gives hope to us. Grandmas and grandpas, gives hope to us. Family members, this gives hope to us. Jesus hasn't gotten a hold of them yet, but he will. Second thing is this. Uh, I love when Jesus interrupts, there are always unsung heroes that are discovered. You know, you just a name pops up, never hear the name. You've never heard it before, and you're never going to really hear it again. Who is it in Acts chapter 9? Yeah, it's Ananias. And thank God for the one-hit wonders. You know, this, is a, this guy's a, a one-hit wonder because their impact did not fade over the years. We're still calling and using his name. So God takes this what would be obscure man. And he uses him to do one of the greatest things. Just he comes into the picture, he's obedient and gets things done, and you don't hear of him much anymore. Wow. Some plant, some water, some reap. You can do all three. There's times I'm in a person's life and I'm going, oh, I'm just planting a seed right now. So don't try to flood them with a lot of water. Oh, I'm watering right now. So don't try to pick the fruit right away. Wait. Wait. But when you know what your role is, your assignment is by God's Holy Spirit in people's lives, that's going to make all the difference. And we see this guy stepping up. He changes the course of history because of his obedience. They step in a sovereign moment. What we see here are, are, is Ananias. One verse, one passage steps in. They're unsung heroes. They they never sought fame. They never wanted recognition. But for this one moment, God says, I need you. And what do they do? They step up. People like Tabitha. People like Lydia. Uh, Barnabas, a little longer in the story. Silas, a little longer in the story. Aquila and Priscilla. And you have Ananias here. You see what he does here. You know, I don't know if you've had a hard time ever hearing from God. I know I struggle at times. But why did Ananias in this one incredible moment hear God so specifically? Have you ever thought about that? I have an answer, I think. I think this is my answer. You can test this out if you want. 
I think the riskier or unsafe the call, the more specific the voice. I know there have been times in my life, God, I don't hear you. And he goes, because you're not taking a risk. Why do I? You really want to step out on a limb? I'll talk to you, and I'll have a lot of detail for you. But I don't know if your relationship is like that with the Lord, but it, but it is mine. And what you see here is maybe God doesn't speak more specifically because we're not taking a risk, that we're playing it too safe, too comfortable. When there's risk, there's clarity. The harder the task, the clearer the direction. You see that here with Ananias. You see that all through Scripture. I know this passage proves these points. I know it. I see it. God can use the most obscure people. That's what I, I get out of this. And we should never be afraid to obey God's will. That's another thing I get out of this. And then God works are always balanced. He always works in a very, a way, a clear way, a, a way of clarity. Crazy sometimes. You can't, you're thinking, wow, he's asking me to do this. But very clear. Here's what I want to do. I want to be in the game. I want to call you to be in the game. When you're in the game and you take risks, God will be very clear to you. He will speak very clear to you. And then the third thing, when Jesus interrupts, eyes are open. <laughs> Do you see that? Now, when Jesus interrupts, eyes uh, see differently. Perspectives are different. Attitudes change. You see that in verse 18. Immediately, the, 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 the shackles fell off his eyes. He could see clearly. Paul could hear. This is a moment where there is newly discovered truth. How many know that, and I think you know this, it's not new truth here. There's no such thing as that. It's truth. Truth is truth. What's happening here, it's newly discovered truth. Jesus has always been the redeemer, but now the scales are falling off Saul, Paul's eyes, and he's seeing the truth. And when he sees the way, the truth, and the life, his attitude, his perspective, his way of looking at life totally, radically changes. The scales fell off. Where do the scales have to fall off my eyes? I mean, I know the truth there, but God, help me discover that. Help me see it in ways that I haven't seen it before. Give me a fresh perspective. And I'll pray that sometimes in relationship. Lord, this person's driving me nuts. I just need to have a different way of looking at this. I need to have a different way of looking at them. Help me. Because I know you can do that. So when we discover a truth that's always been, it changes all of our assumptions and perceptions. Have you experienced that? That you uh, prejudged somebody and you got to know them, you went, oh, oh. Either they weren't like you thought they were, or they had a really good reason for being like you thought they were. See, when we get to know somebody's story, our perspective changes. When we get to know the truth, our perspective changes. It really does. The Apostle Paul has his eyes open, and it changed his assumptions and perspective. So we're not only talking about his physical eyes, obviously. We're talking about his spiritual. He discovers a truth that was always true and that was God's purpose for his life found in Jesus Christ. And God has a purpose for all of you. Can you see it? Ask him to take the scales off. Ask him to show you the truth. The light of Jesus did not create the scales on Paul's eyes. It revealed the scales on Paul's eyes. You see, the light and the truth of Jesus Christ will show you where you're blind. And it's 
a scary thing. It's a powerful thing, but it is life-changing. And then the last thing here, when Jesus interrupts, lives get set free. That's really a good place to finish, that lives get set free. Our lives are set free when Jesus shows up. Lives are just freed up. Lives are released to carry out the purposes of God. And you see that in the Apostle Paul. For some of us hold back. Some of us maybe go three quarters of the way. But God's saying, I want you to go all the way with me. I want you to take those risks. I want you to walk with me. It's, it is. Isn't it kind of a scary thing, huh? You know, you're in a grocery store minding your own business, and God says, go to that person. You don't know, but go over there and just pray, pray with them. Talk to them. I'll tell you one thing that will just shake up a party. They just mention the name of Jesus. That will shake it up right there. You know, it does. Just tell people about Jesus and, and, and what it'll do. It, it, it just shakes the, the tree. But what we see is we see people set free. We see their lives set free. I am so grateful that our lives get set free by Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful I'm one of those that are free because of Jesus. Would you bow your head with me? Father, thank you for our time together. And would you continue to soften our heart at the same time harden our resolve to follow you to say yes to you and Lord Jesus that we would take those risks that we would not resort to just being comfortable just doing things just because we do them but we want to see that purpose that you have and Lord we know that when we live according to your will and your purpose there are radical things that happen. There are miracles that take place and there are people's lives that are changed. So Lord, thank you today for changing our lives. Help us be instruments of change in others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.